I raised my rate uh, in July. And so when I started taking insurance, I also raised my private pay rate. I raised it by $40, which seemed like a lot, but I really felt like I had been lowballing myself. Yeah. Initially, I had like these, these phrases <laughs> that were like, you know, like if the rate doesn't seem like it's manageable, then we can talk about a, you know, uh, staying to the same rate or right, like very wordy and very like already making excuses and undercutting myself. And thank goodness I had a mentor who was like, no, don't do that, right? Don't do that. And just see how you know, see the response. And again, you're, you have willingness that like, if a client says that's unmanageable for me, then you're going to be able to say, okay. Um, and so it was so funny because not a single person um, responded in any sort of negative fashion of you're not worth it. I didn't lose a single client. Calling all new creative business owners, as well as creative business owners who are looking to fill up your full-time staff schedules. This episode is for you. Big alert, big alert. I want to introduce you to my friend, Aubrey Lowe. Have you ever wondered if, oh, when you jump into a private practice, when you jump into some sort of venture all on your own, are you going to be able to pay the bills? Are you going to be able to make ends meet? This episode is for you because Aubrey is a licensed marriage and family therapist, mental health professional, substance use disorder professional, and self-harm and suicide prevention Specialist. She provides telehealth services to teens, adults, couples, and families in Washington State. So she's got a master's in marriage and family therapy. She worked in community mental health for five years, starting at high schools in the Seattle area and ultimately supervising co-occurring uh, disorders in patient unit. But what I want to really talk with her about today, which I think is going to be very, very helpful and beneficial to you. All right. I think you're going to dig this so much. She was so excited to report in 2021, her first year of private practice, she hit her goal of $100,000 for full-time private practice. And she is just such a beam of hope and of light. I mean, this happened during a pandemic when so many business owners have been crashing and burning and struggling. So I reached out to her to ask if she would be a guest because I see her as a huge bright light and someone that we can definitely learn from. Introducing Aubrey. Aubrey, I am so, I've been so excited to chat with you and welcome, welcome, welcome to 10 Times Your Creative Business. I'm like honored that you're here with us. Thank you for showing up. Thank you. I appreciate the ask, Kat. I'm really glad that we got to get connected and I'm excited for this as well. So yeah. This was your first year in private practice. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, I had been in community mental health for um, five years and uh, then made the, the transition over. So it was a, a big leap of faith. I was um, really nervous about a lot of it, um, but was again, really excited for the opportunity and the endeavor. So, and where were you before this or what kind of work setting? Um, so I started out as a substance use disorder professional, um, and so I was working uh, in um, community mental health, um, you know, primarily with clients that had Medicaid, um, and then I was, I transitioned um, to working um, at a, uh, another Medicaid provider, uh, but this time it's a co-occurring disorder, so I was working as a mental health professional and a um, substance use disorder professional. Um, and then I actually uh, was promoted and I was um, the 
uh, the mental health services, the community mental health services, um, also had inpatient units. Um, so they had a crisis unit and um, you know mental health inpatient unit. And I actually got to um, supervise the co-occurring disorders inpatient unit. So we had a 16 bed, 28 day um, inpatient program. Uh, and so then I sort of uh, launched from, from that, um, yeah. Now tell me what, um, what made you decide to go into private practice? Um, well, it was something that had been on my mind really since school. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the program that I was in, you know, I went into it because it was geared towards private practice. Um, and I, I loved what I was doing, especially when I was getting to supervise. Um, but for me, it was really wanting to have, um, more autonomy over the clients that I was working with and really being able to focus in on the niche and kind of the, you know, being able to pick those individuals that I was really passionate to work with and, and connect with. Um, and honestly, I was, I was also getting a little burnt out um, after five years in community mental health. Uh, there was a lot of a, a feeling of just, you know, um, high stress levels um, and, and just sort of feeling like, uh, especially in the time of COVID with an inpatient unit, uh, it was it was really difficult to um, continue to kind of move through days with a lot of worry about exposure and, and a lot of other things. So um, my family and I talked really extensively about it. Um, again, there was some worry about, you know, what does that mean for health insurance and all of these other things? But um, it definitely was the right choice for me at the time and now. How awesome. So I think... So many listeners tuning in right now can relate to the feeling of being burned out. And I think what I hear a lot is, um, I work so hard. I care. It, it's kind of like we all care so much, huge hearts. Like we would do anything to help the people that we serve. And so we give and we give and we give. And I was talking to someone the other day, she's like, I, I was session planning. I was planning my sessions for the next day. I, I've been doing that every day until 1130 at night, Kat. I don't eat dinner. I, I, I'm, it's too stressful at work because what I see going, what I see going on at work is so much worse than what happened before the pandemic. And so she's like carrying all this burden on her. So can we dig into that a little bit more? What does, what does or did burnout look like to you? Um, well, it looked like not enough sleep for sure. And, um, then, uh, also, you know, staffing issues as well. And so there was a lot of, especially as in a supervisory role, like, you know, 12 to 15 hour days at times. And so then, you know, not a lot of, of quality time either. Um, and I think, you know, it, it does absolutely start affecting the care um, that you're being able to provide to your clients. And so that was the other thing was I was noticing, um, I, was, I was multitasking in my head uh, and not actively listening to what my client's experience was. So I wasn't as present in the moment because I was like, oh, I gotta do this and I gotta do that. And oh my gosh, I forgot about that, right? Um, so it was, it was really difficult to also recognize the, you know, those things that it's so hard to, I guess, control when, when there's so much stress that's going on. And so your brain is sort of doing things that you really can't 
like control and, and so it would be trying to practice my own you know skills of grounding and and really coming back into session but again just really feeling um you know that I didn't have enough time and and as a supervisor as well it was it was impacting my, my opportunities to connect with my employees and so I actually had an employee who um you know I adored and and I you know she really loved working with us but you know she really wanted to expand her opportunities and, and grow in education and we weren't able to meet for supervision for almost a month it was just one of those situations that right it would come up and we we had supervision on the calendar each week and so again just not being able to attend to those things and and feeling like you know I wasn't I wasn't fully in I wasn't giving 100% to anything that I was doing um there were also physical effects so I mean I did have high I had increased blood pressure I had gained weight um you know I wasn't eating as well it was like kind of always on the run eating um and not being able to do things like meal prep or really get exercise outside of walking the floor so um you know all those things really impacted and then my relationships at home as well right so again not really being present even when I was physically present um and not being able to kind of contribute to those day-to-day -day things so I it puts a lot of stress on on all of those experiences I think you I think you hit every point of burnout, <laughs> just like <laughs> physical, emotional, financial, da, 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 you know, like all yeah. the, the whole wheel of wellness. Mm -hmm. um, and it is so hard when we're in that kind of position. Um, and so burnout and um, and also making not making a lot of money. And that is like, that's like the hardest place to be. Um, tell me, did you did you miss the clients that you were serving when you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I had, uh, when I, when I was in school, I had an internship and that was my really first, like having to say goodbye to clients. And I remember the difficulty of that. Like we all knew, we all expected it. It was a one-year position and, but my goodness, the, the grief that comes from the, that, that disconnection and, um, you know, there's still so many that I, I wish I knew what was where they were at today, you know, and how do I connect with them in those ways. And so, um, you know, for me, it was really, uh, it was, a, it was, again, going through that experience, but again, as a supervisor, my employees as well. Um, and, and while I have more of an opportunity to continue to connect with them, um, it was hard. And the inpatient unit was, um, you know, it was co-occurring, but it was for moderate to severe mental health diagnoses. So we were working with clients who were struggling with substance use disorders and then diagnoses like schizophrenia. And so, you know, their um, clients who are, are so, um, you know, vulnerable. And, and so I think that with, with that, it was so hard, you know, we would, we would have clients that, that we saw a few times, you know, they would come to our program a few times. And, and again, it was a 16 bed setting. So it was very intimate and you were with them for 28 days. You created a lot of connection. Um, and so when I was, was out of that environment and not being able to sort of track them anymore, absolutely. There's, there's grief around, you know, not being able to see them and, and connect and continue that um relationship yeah how did you overcome the grief that came with terminating i think most of it was looking towards the opportunities that were coming um again sort of being able to specialize um and and really work with you know 
every individual client that I was passionate about. And so uh, I think, you know, also just sort of meaning making around the experiences that I got to have with them, right? Knowing the impact that they had on me and, and hope about the impact that I had on them um, and really being able to identify the evidence of that. So I get those, right? No matter what, I get to always carry those with me. And so trying to highlight um, the connection, uh, you know, to sort of combat the grief in the moment. I feel like all of our clients that we're able to experience things with, they kind of like leave a stamp on our lives. They stamp, leave a little, a little stamp on our life story and that we get to carry around with us wherever we go. And I often, I think about my past clients every single day, every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I love that though. I love that, like focusing, you know, remembering like what they left with you, the little legacy and, and memories that they left with you. So, okay, let's get down and dirty with how the heck did you do this? You made $100,000 revenue in your first year of private practice, which is no small feat. I mean, how did you do this? What, are you, is your revenue coming from insurance or is it coming from other sources? Is it coming from grant funding? Or like, talk to me about where's the revenue coming from uh, and, and how did you do this? <laughs> um, so the revenue comes about half from insurance and half from private pay. Um, and so, and I don't, um, currently have any other sort of additional streams of income. That's definitely something I want to continue to explore. Um, but at this time it is just, just client income. Um, so yeah. And I think, um, I, I didn't start taking insurance, um, actually until July of this year. And so that was an interesting transition at that point as well. Um, and, uh, definitely, I mean, obviously sort of, I I think at that point, um, kind of like almost doubled my, my revenue really. Um, uh, and, and I did take on more clients than I had initially planned. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, that was a really, um, it was really great to be able to open that up in certain ways. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think that I like try to remember if there was a rest of another part to that question, but that's, that's where the income is is coming from. Yeah. I mean, you really hit the ground running. And so it seems like, I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but um, (laughs) so uh, what did you do right before you quit your job? What did you do mm-hmm. to prepare yourself for this new, this new, new work style? Um, well, I was networking. Um, so, so much networking. Uh, you know, I really, I, I was in so um, blessed, privileged to have some people that I knew Um I actually, uh, I, I returned to the community um, that I had grown up on, um, in. And so um, it was really interesting. We didn't live very far away, um, but it was, it's a smaller community, very close knit. And, and so, I mean, if you'd ever asked me when I was like a teenager, if I was going back there, I would have told you absolutely not. Um, but, you know, I did, I had so many connections that it just felt like it was the right place for us to be. Um, and it seems like that was true. Uh, so it was, you know, really reaching out. I mean, 
first to, you know, um, doctors in the area, um, sort of putting my name out there, um, letting them know what I was specializing in. Uh, it was getting a website up early on as well. Um, and, and really, you know, trying to be very particular about how I represented myself on that website as well. Um, one of the things that I've gotten a lot of, of feedback about is that, you know, there's, there's representation of the clients that I serve on my website. So I do a lot um, in terms of like polyamory um, and LGBTQ plus clients. And so there's, there's visual representations, there's pictures of, you know, sort of um, alternative lifestyles. Um, and, and I think that that provides a sense of acknowledgement and safety for the client, um, you know, before they even are, are a client, um, just feeling like there is somebody that sees them and, and you know, is, is out there recognizing that community. Um, so yeah, so also trying to network with uh, those, those communities, right? So putting my name out there and, and letting, um, you know, different uh, community um, organizations know that I was starting my practice. Um, I also networked with the schools. I did a lot of network with, networking with the schools. Um, and again, the, they were literally the schools I had gone to. So um, it, was, it was nice to be able to also almost revisit some of those connections talking about grief, right? Teachers, it, it was so funny. There were still a few teachers who I had had. And so it was really cool to get to go back and, and say what I was doing. And I think, again, having some of that personal connection beforehand then led to referrals for sure. So, yeah. Do you have a specific referral source that is just rock star, just sending you so many clients or like, did you just hit the jackpot with one of your referral sources <laughs> or, or do you have like a hundred referral sources and everybody's sending you a client or talk to me? Um, I think, you know, I, I don't have a, a jackpot referral source. I'll be honest. I don't, I don't have that. Um, and you know, it's interesting because then I think as well, I was, I was sort of surprised with the advent of COVID, um, how much then a lot of it came from telehealth. And so, because again, the, the niche factor, but um, truthfully, what it was was sort of like getting, getting one client within that community and again, tight, tighter knit communities. Um, so even within like a poly kink community, right. If I'm working with one client that initially started, you know, in my local area, then word gets around. Um, and so, right. And, and so then I was really able to expand so much through telehealth and I was really shocked at that in the beginning. And, um, and now I don't, I only do telehealth, so I don't do anything in, yeah, I don't do anything in person and that, that might shift. Um, but I feel like every time that I think that maybe I'm going to go back in person, something else pops up, Omicron. Um, so, you know, so for me, it was, and, and again, the telehealth really opened up specialization for me, which was huge. So, yeah. That is incredible. So these lovely, okay. I just see you as this beacon of hope for so many people, so many, um, uh, therapists or service providers tuning in because like COVID has had a really hard impact on a lot of people's lives in general, not to mention their work lives. And so just knowing that, that things have worked out beautifully for you. I, I love it. I love, I'm so drawn to you because you're like this beacon of hope. It's, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. And I'm so happy. Um, 
so tell me, um, so tell me because of telehealth and because of your, your specialization, very, very specific specialization and the way, um, various communities are represented on their website and they feel safe and loved and cared about and probably probably your mission statement or probably the beliefs that you have on your website i haven't honestly i haven't even looked at your website before i before i talked to you but i imagine that your copy like the the way you're writing about who you are and what you believe in is probably drawing people in so you kind of set yourself up to be a magnet. Not only that, you then you entered the small community where you were pretty well connected and like people remember who you are. So you you just set it up in the most beautiful way and do are our clients just cold call? I mean, potential prospective clients, are they just cold calling and and inquiring about services and exploring this with you? Is that how it happens mostly? Yeah, mostly. I mean, um, obviously, pretty much all my traffic comes through my website, straight up. Um, and I, again, I think that's just sort of the world we live in. Um, I, it's funny, I am listed on like psychology today and things. I, I've maybe gotten one referral in the year that like, you know, came to fruition out of that. Um, I've gotten a few, you know, check-ins, but um, it's it's truthfully been my website and again like sort of being represented on um other community websites sort of saying hey you know she provides services and and here's the link to her website so um i have a really nice web form that's set up and i think provides you know a lot of information um and and then it allows me to get back to the client and speak to you know their um their needs and and what they're asking for so yeah so i think that that's really been um the major funnel again I think it's people end up at my website by word of mouth um in a lot of ways uh but um yeah that's that's what has been and it's funny because I don't know a lot about like search engine optimization or anything and so I don't think that it's like popping up but I don't I don't know I honestly don't know I don't know what to search or what I should start asking like what did you search that you found me um but yeah pretty much you know I do have the little survey and everybody um you know says that they found me from my website I actually interestingly I had I had two inquiries today and it was like really funny because they came back to back um and uh and so both of them spoke again to that idea of like, I read, I read your philosophies. I, I read what you, um, you know, how you work. And I, I think we would be a really good fit. And so I do also offer a, a free 20 minute consult. I, I don't, um, you know, I, I think that it's so important both for me and for the client to see like, is this going to be a good fit? And, and so I think that opportunity as well, um, I think creates uh retention in certain ways like I, i'm not i'm not meeting with a client for an intake session and then recognizing we're not going to move forward so yeah. one of the scariest things that people tell me about is stating their rate so how do you approach that with a cold prospective client that you've never met in person that you don't you're not even sure how they found you but you know you got this inquiry i mean does that scare you or you're just like no i'm just uh it, it did scare me. Um, it, it really did. And every time in the beginning, especially, I would like put it out there. I was just like waiting, right? Like, oh God, they're going to like, you know, give feedback if I can't do that. I didn't get it. Um, you know, and I, I do have, I have three slots a week um, that are, are set for um, uh, reduced fees. Um, and I, I, I call them reduced fees and not sliding scales because I honestly am not asking the client like, can, you know, provide 
um, evidence of how much you make or anything like that. I, I just really am, am straightforward. If the client says, I can't afford that, then, then the question comes, okay, what, what can you afford? And, and we talk a little bit about that. And, um, you know, I think that, again, with, with rapport development, sort of being upfront and also trusting in the client, it, it has created, again, the, that bond that allows us to work together and to be honest. Um, I've had a couple of clients that started out in um, a reduced fee uh, spot, and then as life improved, um, or as they were able to like, you know, get, find employment and those kinds of things, then we've moved up either, you know, higher um, fees or um, that, you know, they're at a, a full rate, um, or they have insurance, right? So it's, it's been interesting to watch that development as well, because at first I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm offering these three slots, and, and they filled very quickly. And that I was like, oh, I'm never going to be able to offer it again. Um, but that hasn't been the case. And so that's kind of cool, too, in terms of, again, creating a, a relationship, and you get to see some of these results. And then it's sort of, you know, and, and not, not once have I been the one to approach the client, right? So it's, it's that they come back and they, they, you know, they're grateful for having had the opportunity to work with you and then, you know, being able to, to afford something um, higher. And so I think that that's really cool. Um, I raised my rate uh, in July. And so when I started taking insurance, I also raised my private pay rate. And uh, I raised it by $40, which seemed like a lot, but I really felt like I had been lowballing myself. And so that was an interesting thing to see. Um, and I had done, so I did a lot of research. When I, when I initially came into private practice, I, I again, I, I don't think I did a lot of research on like what were sort of the rates in my area. Um, I just sort of like went with this number that felt like, you know, part of it was looking at what do I need to make, um, right? And, and so, uh, and, then, and then I think that with raising my rates, I was terrified and I raised them with my current clients as well. And so I, yeah, and so I sent out like a new disclosure statement and, you know, explained sort of what, what I was doing. I gave them, you know, four weeks notice. Um, and, and said, you know, this is where I'm at. These are, this, this is, you know, my growth, right. And, and my business's growth. And so this is, um, you know, what, what my rates will be. And again, if you have any concerns or any questions, reach out to me and we'll talk. Right. Yeah. Initially I had like these, these phrases that were like, you know, like if the rate doesn't seem like it's manageable, then we can talk about a, you know, uh, staying to the same rate or right. Like very wordy and very like already making excuses and undercutting myself. And thank goodness I had a mentor who was like, no, don't do that. Right. Don't do that. And just see how, you know, see the response. And again, you're, you have willingness that like, if a client says that's unmanageable for me, then you're going to be able to say, okay. Um, and so it was so funny because rather than having anybody come back, you know, and, and here comes imposter syndrome too, right? Yeah. Oh my totally. gosh, I'm raising my rates and, and people are going to be like, you're not worth it, right? And, and I was so afraid I'm, I was going to lose clients, right? I was like, oh gosh, they're not going to feel comfortable talking to me. And, and I think it's so interesting because so many of us are uncomfortable talking about financial pieces and and yet it's so straightforward for so many other things and so I think it's so interesting as a therapist as, as a provider in in this uh field how different that feels than like I don't know chiropractors right like I mean I don't know chiropractors that offer reduced fee services like I don't, I don't know people that have slots like that and so I, I guess part of that was sort of me adjusting to like well what 
what is the difference here? And, and when I set a rate, you know, I, I have, um, you know, clients who are invested. And, and so, um, yeah, so the response and no, not a single person um, responded in any sort of negative fashion of you're not worth it. I didn't lose a single client. Um, I had only one client that was like, uh, I'm not sure that like the $40 jump is manageable until we went with a $25 jump, right? Um, and that was totally fine. And again, I think that it strengthened our therapeutic rapport by being able to have that conversation openly and by being receptive to what the client was sharing. Um, I had other clients who were like, oh my gosh, I thought you were underpaying yourself. Let me start that this week, right? So that was the other funny thing. Like they, they signed the disclosure, got it back to me and were like, I want to start paying you more. So that was really funny and encouraging too. And again, like that moment of, oh my gosh, the connection that we have. And, you know, interestingly, having these clients that are like, mm, yeah, I thought you were underpaying. <laughs> So that was so, yeah, I mean, it filled my heart for sure. It's like, well, I was getting a good deal for a while there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was going to tell absolutely. you, but. <laughs> right. And so that's interesting because here they had done the research, right? They, they were looking yeah. at other providers. They knew those things. And so they were like, oh, yeah, that was a good deal. Um, but, and so then, and then the willingness was, was absolutely there, um, to, to pay that increased rate. Um, you know, and again, I'll be honest as a woman, it was interesting for me to also do the research in my area and to recognize that typically male providers were charging 25 to $50 more than female providers. Um, and so there was this interesting part, write that down. <laughs> yeah, of, of, you know, the, the pay differential and that maybe we even do it to ourselves a little bit. So part of me was like, hey, I'm still under a lot. I'm, my rate is still under so many providers in my area. And, you know, and the other thing is with telehealth, it's hard to kind of like, what is my area, the whole state, right? So it's, that, that was a little bit interesting as well of like, how do I, how do I look at that? Because obviously from a, you know, very uh, urban area, that's, that's very, very different, right? Than some of your other communities. Um, and, and access to resources. So, yeah. Do you have, uh, are your clients mostly local or are they kind of spread out a bit too? <clears throat> um, so again, I would say that, that it's probably, probably, yeah. Well, okay. So I have a couple of clients who are not, I, I'm in Washington state, so I'm in the Seattle area. Um, and so my, my little community, I'm actually off, I'm on, on Bainbridge Island. And so it's a, a small island, of like, I don't know, 25,000 people. Um, but so I, I have some, some locals that are uh, part of my community from Bainbridge. Um, primarily, I would say that, that most of my clients are from the Seattle area. And then I have a couple that are, um, you know, in um, more like Eastern Washington and um, out on like the Olympic Peninsula and things. So sort of further west um, on the coast. Very cool. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of personal questions? Go ahead. So I'm curious. Um, you have a partner? Yes, my husband. And your husband, um, are you both income earners? Yes. Okay. Okay. Got it. So how does your husband feel about your career shift? Um, well, he... <laughs> He had started his own business a couple of years before me. And so he is self-employed as well. And so there was, um, I had- The health insurance. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I had, I had maintained a job. Now I'll also be honest. My husband in many ways is um, more of a uh, opportunity taker. I think I'm, I'm not going to say risk taker. I'm going to say opportunity taker. And so when he was moving into um, his own employment, you know, it was so meaningful for him to be able to work for himself. And he had, you know, that, that had been his goal for a long time. I really like stability. <laughs> and so I had been so hesitant to do it because I was like, oh, this, yeah, it provides our health insurance. I know what I'm going to make, right? So if for some reason there is a, a famine period for him, right, I, I'm, I know that we have this income and so I can budget and I can plan and I can do these things. Um, so he was so ready for me to, to go to private practice. And I think, again, because he knew all the benefits that could come with setting my own schedule, reducing burnout, right? You know, and, and I don't think he ever questioned uh, my, my competency or my ability to do these things. So he was a huge supporter. Um, and, and I think in many ways gave me the courage to move forward with that, for sure. It's but, so um, great to have a supportive, yeah. uh, supportive partner. That's really wonderful. Good. Now, um, so let me ask you this. Do you, okay. I talk to a lot of business owners who actually are in some severe burnout. And I personally, I think it's because they're not charging enough, but um, I want to hear from you. I want to hear from somebody else. Like what, I mean, uh, do you see any danger for yourself of um, maybe risk of burnout at any time in the future potentially? And what are those risk factors for someone who's in private practice? <laughs> yeah. Um... I, mm, clients will pull at my heartstrings, right? So I have the inquiry and I don't have space. I don't, I don't, like all of my slots are full, right? And I could wait list them, but I'm not, I'm not seeing anybody. Like, I, I mean, I'm being like, I don't have anything for three months, six months, right? Like I'm not seeing anything that's going to come open soon. Um, so I, again, I work with communities that are often very vulnerable. I work with a fair number of teens. Um, I also reflect like um, I work with uh, self-harm and, and um, suicidality, which a lot of providers shy away from because of things like liability. And so um, often I am having clients that are, uh, you know, in need of services now. Um, so I think the, the risk for me of burnout is that when that client tugs at the heartstrings and not by, um, you know, by virtue of their situation, um, I have a hard time not finding space for them. <laughs> so I will extend my hours because, oh, well, and, you know, I did it, I did it the one time, right? And then the next one came and I was like, oh my gosh, I like, it was so, there was such awareness of, I have to boundary set and I'm going to, to be at a place that I can't see everyone right um so then came the other part of like really developing the best referral list that i could right again networking with providers this time in like a how can i help you build your practice like talk to me about what you do and and let me know so that i can have people that i feel really secure forwarding you know referring these clients to yeah. um so yeah and i i agree um i think i was uh, much more on the verge of the burnout factor um, with before I raised my rates um, because I, I think that it just was um, 
that difficult place of trying to, you know, I, I had set goals and then it was trying to like make the income. And so that was meaning more clients. And, and so, um, you know, raising the rates really allowed me to sort of breathe a little bit in terms of uh, still meeting financial goals, but also being able to recognize that I don't have to be working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week with clients, um, you know, one-on-one so you know in session so yeah I'm so with you I have found that raising my rate when I raise my rates at first it's it's like it's kind of like this thrill and exhilaration and you're you're just thinking the whole thing could collapse in my life my life will be over (laughs) all the doomsday scenarios and then you do it and then it's like the clouds open and the angels sing because you realize, oh my gosh, not only am I more motivated to be even more present and like, ah, like ground myself so that I am with my clients, like, mm, you know, like you, there's, you know, you're getting paid what you're worth. And therefore you, there's just this like wonderful feeling that goes with getting paid what you're worth. It's, there's, it's indescribable. I, I, words don't do it justice and it yeah so it, and it's it's like a win 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 it's you know it's like everybody wins and you, like you said earlier your clients are invested they're invested in their own growth mm-hmm. and um i was listening to this um podcast the other day where they said you know um when you share your rate or the price for your product or whatever it is you're holding up that sign it's like an it's less about you and it's more about like the people who you're you're calling into your life Mm -hmm. um whatever situation and scenarios are going on in their lives it's like how committed are you to loving yourself to your own personal growth Um, And I thought that was so interesting because so many of us think if I raise my rates, I'm hurting my clients. Right. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that there's that ethical question, right. Of like, oh, well, there's this, there is already this investment. And so am I taking advantage of that rapport? And again, I think it goes back to, um, you know, being, being open to, you know, how, how do we negotiate this rapport? Um, And, and again, I don't think that, the financial piece is as um, linchpin as we make it, uh, especially not from from our client's perspective. And so again, I think that, you know, for me, it was absolutely, and we're going to make it work, right? Like if it's not, if if this rate isn't going to work, it's it's not that I'm putting my clients in a position of abandoning care or anything like that. And so again, I think that there's the opportunity for that therapeutic rapport um, to, to build it, right? So again, the having, and again, I work with a lot of couples. So being able to say like, this is a sort of communication, right? Like this is how we have this topic and I'm trying to get away from all of my insecurities influencing how I'm communicating. So uh, one more question around setting rates because there is a power dynamic. There's a power imbalance because they're going to you as the therapist, as like the, the guide. Um, and, and so how do you... How do you reconcile that power imbalance uh, within that relationship and discuss rates? Because I think that's another thing that 
instead of looking at it and examining it and, and figuring this out and like just being being honest and transparent about it, I think most people would rather run away. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think I'm going to do private practice because that's too much stress. <laughs> like thinking yeah. about the power dynamic, I don't want anybody thinking I'm exploiting them. Oh my gosh. You know, the, like ah, that is the opposite. I mean, there's if, if, a lot, I think a lot of listeners may feel like there's a ton at stake within that relationship because of the power imbalance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that again, that comes back to, I, I, I Powers is a topic of conversation in most of my sessions, right? So again, sort of that systemic um, look at things. And, and so we're talking about how, how does that influence, you know? And so again, going over things like my disclosure statement, right? And, and, and part of that part in my disclosure statement, which I had my clients sign again when we, when we changed rates, um, was, was talking about, you know, that power dynamic. And, and so I think that that's important to address, um, in the same way, I think, you know, when there are power imbalances in terms of like racial differences or in terms of, you know, again, like, you know, communities being discriminated against. And so I try to speak to that, especially in early, um, sessions, because I think it's so important to be able to have those conversations. And so, you know, I, part of my, my schooling was really talking about how do you, you bring up these very difficult topics. And I think when you do that with that openness, right, when you're showing up very present, right, and, and also very curious about what is the client's experience. And so it was the same sort of thing. It was like, let's just get curious about what your experience is, right? And so um, I think that it was, it was continuing to talk about it, right? So I Sent, sent my email, sent the disclosure statement. I would, I would bring it up in, in the session first. And so I, you know, prior to the four weeks um, notice that I was giving, that I was sending out with the email, I brought it up in session first. I let them know that this was coming, right? Opened the door for communication around it, that I'm going to send you the disclosure. If you have any questions, like, please, I do want to talk about this. I'm open to talking about this. And, um, and again, like, I just didn't, I didn't see that there was an imbalance that was experienced, right? I didn't see the, the client that, you know, needed to, um, to talk about the, the rate, you know, they, they almost were so happy that they were able to do that, right? So I think it is about empowerment, right? So we're, we're providing our op- these opportunities for our clients to have to difficult conversations. And, and so we're open to, to their experience with it. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, I think you're speaking to a lot of fears that listeners that my listeners have. So I I really appreciate that, you know, just let's look at it. Let's hit it head on. Let's, let's discover. And what you said about curiosity to me is everything that's huge. So, um, I have one more question for you and this is a fun one. So looking ahead, yeah. Amazing. The, the amazing Aubrey and her incredible private practice that she's built from zero, starting with zero. You had nothing mm-hmm. um, except relationships, you know, uh, having built this amazing private practice. What do you see for the future? Do you see yourself scaling or growing or building a team or do you want to stay solo or do you like do you want to um, branch out in other ways? Do you what what's what are you most excited for in the future? What's 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 on your plate? What's what's on your schedule? Yeah, I mean, I I think 
having had supervisory experience, right, I think that there that I would love to have that as an opportunity as well. So um, sort of integrating that into my practice, what, depending on what that looks like, if that looks like, you know, a group practice that with, you know, overseeing associates or, or what that looks like, um, you know, but also just offering supervision the same as I'm sort of offering, um, you know, client time. So perhaps scaling back from some of my clients and, and then offering those, those supervision spots. So um, I love working with other um, professionals and again, sort of building hope and empowerment in, in a slightly different way than working with clients. Um, but I think that that's definitely something that I'm, I'm that's probably next step in terms of exploring. Um, there are a lot of other revenue streams out there, you know, in terms of like trainings um, and offering trainings to professionals. And I, I think, you know, I, I've considered teaching as well. Um, and so I, I, again, I think that, you know, whatever form that that takes in terms of growing professionals um, and, and growing sort of the, the next generations, the next people stepping into these roles, um, that's, that's really, I think, my next, my next step, my next goal. Well, I know that you have been already a huge inspiration to uh, my audience and our listeners here. So you are on the right track. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> we will just keep like, ah, it, it's, it's, it's a nourishing for us to hear of your success. Uh, so it's, it's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and what got you here. Oh, there is one question I forgot is insurance as, as much of a pain in the butt as a lot of people say it is. Taking the insurance. Um, yes, <laughs> um, it can be. So I do work, I work with a biller. Um, there which you is go. the best investment I've ever made. A hundred percent. Hire a biller. Hire a biller. Um, I don't have time. Um, I just don't. And and I don't, I'm I'm not as good at it as she is. And so, right, so she is getting those, you know, when when she's getting like say a denial or, you know, she's really excellent at following up. And and so yeah, so so get get a biller. And I would not be good at following up. I just want to do the work. I just want to see yes. the clients. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that goes back to like the whole of building your, your private practice, right, is, is accessing your resources and building your team, your support team, because I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, accountant, CPA, very, very important. Those are huge, right? Understanding taxes and oh my gosh, that is not, that's not what I do, right? I'm a therapist. Um, so yeah, so finding that, that support team. And I would also say part of that support team is having a supervisor, a mentor, right? Having somebody be that business minded, um, or, you know, be that in, in terms of, um, uh, clinical work. Um, I also have a really great consult group. Again, sort of, that's one of the places that we end up getting referrals, right? Of didn't seem like this was quite the right fit for me, but I thought that they might work really well with you. So, um, I think having that, that team as, as, you know, as a solo private practitioner, right. It's, it's not being alone and, and, and not being alone in the business. That I'm building. So you don't have to hire people. I know someone said to me, can you teach me how to grow my business without ever having to hire anyone? And so I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, but you have to understand you need to outsource some things like yeah. you, you have to, you know, have to uh, surround yourself with people who are really good at what they do that you are either either you're really lousy at doing it or you hate doing it. And therefore, you're only doing things that you love to do and you're good at doing both of those at the same time, then find your genius zone and then zoom, zoom, zoom. But it's like 
you can't do it alone and you don't want to do it alone. So no, no, absolutely. you're a great example of this. Aubrey, thank you so much for, uh, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. It's yeah. been wonderful. <laughs> thank you again, Pat. I so appreciate being asked. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode of 10 times your creative business. Your next step is to take a screenshot of this episode, share it on Instagram and tag me or share it on any social media platform. I would love to hear from you. I want to know what your biggest takeaway is or what you can do in this episode that applies and transfers over to your business and your life. So talk to me, connect with me, but you know what would make me even happier is if you could text me ideas for a topic or the next show that you want to hear more about. So text me all your questions, all of your topics that you want to see covered at 619-345-3375. Now, if you're ready to take your business even further, the next level, then what's the harm in applying for a mentorship program? Our mentorship program is so awesome. It is very comprehensive for all of your business needs, especially as a creative. Hello, I'm a fellow creative. I'm distracted by all the shiny things. You are not meant to do this alone. You are meant to be fully supported. And one of the best ways to get that support is through a mentorship. So apply at musictherapyed.com slash mentorship. I hope to see you on Instagram text and in our mentorship program. All right, be well, feel good, and make music.